0: listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. Today's scripture comes from Psalm 67, which you can find like I did in the Faith app, clicking on the scripture. Psalm 67, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, Selah that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among the nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. This is the word of the Lord. My daughter Hazel is about to turn two, and I'm already starting to freak out. Uh, I'm, I'm not freaking out because she's about to turn two, but because I've started the process of thinking, what am I going to say to her at her graduation? And may, I know I'm jumping the gun a little bit, but when we run across these momentous occasions in life we're driven to this almost innate need to say something impactful, right? We, we wanna say something that means something. We don't want those moments to just come and go without anything being brought to attention or anything like that. So I've started to think and I've come up with some things that maybe I would, I would say to her. Um, Hazel, I know that you're gonna walk across that stage, you're gonna, you're gonna get your diploma, but I, I want you to remember who you are. Not just a Kingsley, but I want you to remember whose you are, that you are one of God's children. So I I want her to remember those things, Uh, but I also want to maybe take that moment to to reinforce the truth that she's grown up uh, learning and believing. Truths about God that, Hazel, I know you might have some difficult roads ahead. I I know there'll probably be times of confusion and, and pain and suffering, but God has promised to be with you through it all, right? So I wanna, I wanna reinforce as well. So I want her to remember, I want to reinforce, but I also wanna kind of send her out, right? That, that graduation marks this moment where they are transitioning from this thing to the next. And so we want to send them out with purpose. So Hazel, I know as, as you think about all the adventures you have ahead and as you are gonna graduate from kindergarten and move into first grade next year, I know snack time is still your favorite, and I know you still have difficulty sharing toys, but God has prepared good works for you to walk in, right? And, and I know I kind of joke about her kindergarten graduation, and I'm not going to say all those things. I might pray those things over her, but... Right, we we come across these momentous occasions and we are driven to say things like that uh, at birthdays and holidays. Maybe it's uh, at the uh, start of a new job or moving into a new house or moving locations or um, getting a new family pet, right? We have these occasions that we just, we feel like we need to say something. Something um, to bridge the reality of the past with the promise of the future. And that's what we're gonna be talking about this morning through this idea of benediction. You see, we've been in a series um, called Transformation, looking at how we as the people of God form forms and then those forms form back on us. And so we've looked at, um, you know, the call to worship and confession and giving and prayer and preaching of the word and so much more. And so we're ending our series uh, looking at what happens at the end of the service, the benediction. And so uh, if you haven't turned there already, turn with me to Psalm 67, uh, which if you're using the black Bibles under the seat in front of you, we are on page 569. Um, Or as uh, Nick suggested, you can use the Faith Church app. Uh, And public service announcement, it was pointed out to me this week, which I thought was a cool feature, that if you click on Scripture on the app, it automatically pulls up the ESV. But if you click on the ESV drop-down menu, you you can change it to your translation of choice or... You can also choose a language. So if uh, English is not your native language and you would like to follow along in another language, um, all the languages are listed there. So I thought I'd throw that out there. Um, so yes, we are in this series um, on transformation, talking about benediction. And maybe you're like me and like you know the word benediction, but you're not really sure what it means. You're like, I think it's at the end of the service. I think we stand. Um, I'm normally thinking, okay, am I going to order the broccoli cheddar soup for lunch or the ham and chicken panini from Panera or McAllister's or wherever your, you know, go-to location after church is, right? And maybe we all kind of selfishly just wish that the pastor would, like, well, we finished, we sang the song, you're dismissed, and there you go, right? That maybe it just seems like a time of transition that doesn't mean a whole lot, but... We realize uh, through reading uh, Psalm 67 and other parts of scripture that include benedictions, that benedictions are a very important part for the people of God. Um, and so to kind of clarify for a moment, I want to help us distinguish the difference between a benediction and a prayer or a doxology. I was, I was reading an article this week about benedictions, and he had helpful one-sentence one definition, so I'm kind of using what he said because it helped even me kind of understand the difference. So with a prayer, when we're talking about prayer, uh, we ask for what only God can do. So that's what a prayer is. We ask for what only God can do. With a doxology, key part of that word doxa, which is glory uh, in Greek, doxology, we give the glory only God is due. So we give the glory to God. But with a benediction, we expect... What only God can give. So, with a benediction, we expect what only God can give. So, in Psalm 67, we're going to be looking at three things that benedictions do this morning. So, we're going to see how they remind, they reinforce, and they send us out. They remind, reinforce, and send. Uh, So, let's look at Psalm 67, verse 1. May God be gracious to us and bless us, and make his face to shine upon us." This verse, uh, verse 1, is almost a direct quote from Numbers chapter 6. Numbers chapter 6 contains the priestly blessing, and it's quoted many times throughout the Psalms. Um, And if you want to, you can flip over there uh, with me, but you don't have to. But in Numbers chapter 6, God is speaking to Moses, and then he gives Moses this instruction. Uh, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. that last line, the Lord lift up his countenance, uh, maybe it's a word we're unfamiliar with, favor. May the Lord look on you with Favor. So maybe this is a a familiar benediction to you. Uh, Maybe you grew up in a church setting where this was the token benediction. Uh, When I was in fifth grade, I was at this very small private school where uh, at the end of every day of school, one of the teachers would pronounce this blessing over the school. Um, I had a class in seminary where we actually had to memorize this blessing uh, as one of our assignments uh, in pastoral care. Uh, So what exactly is this blessing Saying And why is it referenced in Psalm 67? Well, the Lord explains to Moses the purpose of this blessing. If you keep reading one more verse, verse 27, he says this to Moses. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. As the name of the Lord is placed upon the people of Israel, they are a people set apart for the Lord. And so the first reason that we give a benediction is to remind us of God's character. To remind us of God's character. Uh, these words that the priests were to speak over the people were not them making up blessings or, or pulling something out of thin air, uh, but rather these words are words that describe the character of God and remind the people of the mercies of their God. Not only that, but if we remember how we kind of defined a benediction, the Israelites were to expect what only God could give. They were to expect what only God could give. Notice that the verbs in this blessing are not past tense, but active and future. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Only God was able to bless and protect his people. So this benediction is an expectation that God will do what he has promised and he will do what only he can do. No one else can fulfill that. So what about these expectations remind us of God's character? Well, it reminds us that God has been and will be faithful. It reminds us that God has been and will be gracious. It reminds us that God has been and will be favorable towards us. And he has indeed given us peace. So God has been faithful in these ways in the past so we can be assured, because he is an unchanging God, we can be assured of his faithfulness in these same areas in the future. But what about us? Faith Church, Indianapolis, 2020, you guys are not Israelites. I am not a priest. We are not in Jerusalem So can we say that this blessing that was for the people of Israel uh, is a blessing for us? Can we, you know, truthfully say that the Lord is blessing us and keeping us, that he's looking upon us with favor? Uh, And I would say yes. Um, We're not Israelites, but because of Christ, we have become the people of God. We have been grafted in. To the people of God. Peter describes the church as a royal priesthood, the priesthood of all believers, and we who are in Christ are now a part of God's chosen people. So, yes, we can expect the Lord's blessings and the Lord's favor. Um, Now, I know at this point it might seem a bit strange to be talking this way. And maybe you're even sitting there getting a little uneasy uh, and a little uncomfortable in your seat because it sounds like a lot of false teaching that's out there that God wants to bless you and he wants to give you whatever you want. That's not what a benediction is and that's not what I'm saying. So I want to just take a moment to kind of lay out the distinctions just so we're clear and we're not uh, confused. And this is for my benefit as well because I'm also a little bit uncomfortable saying some of these things. Uh, Does the Bible really say that? Yeah, it does. Um, So um, for sake of simplicity, I might refer to this as the prosperity gospel, right? Prosperity, uh, meaning that God wants to bless you and he wants you to prosper, but gospel, because they call it, you know, people call it that, but it's really no gospel at all. It is not good news. Um, It's built on Uh, skewing scripture. But basically what it teaches is that God wants to bless you. You have only to have faith. Uh, You can name it and claim it and God will be faithful and give you what makes you happy. So if a a boat or a house or a new job or promotion, if that's what's going to bring you joy and fulfillment in God, then pray for it and you can expect that God will give it to you. And so that's not what Scripture teaches. And so when we talk about blessings, it maybe sounds a little bit like that, and we start to get a little uncomfortable. Like, does God really want to bless us? Can we expect God to bless us? So how is a benediction different? Well... Uh, It's different from the false promises of the prosperity gospel because it's not making a request of God that he has not already promised. That when we give a benediction at the end of a service or at a graduation or whatever, we're not naming it and claiming it. We're not, you know, pulling things out of thin air to say, this is what I want God to bless me with. But rather, it is falling back on his promises in scripture and saying, this is what God has promised, this is what I'm leaning on. I'm not leaning on this promise that I made up or pulled out of thin air, but this is from God's Word. And often, um, the, the words we use in benedictions come straight from Scripture. They're all over the Bible, all, over, all throughout Scripture. Um, and, you know, either quoting directly or paraphrasing, we use God's Word. But sometimes the blessings that He gives us is not necessarily the blessings we're expecting or the blessings we uh, want to have, uh, but it's what God determines to be best for us. Um, In a benediction in Hebrews 13, it says that we can anticipate God's blessing of a transformed heart, that we can anticipate God's promise that our greatest need can only be found in him. Now, we'd like to say that, you know, as part of our blessing from God, we are also blessed with uh, prosperity and all these different things, right? But that's not necessarily what God promises. So a benediction is an expectation of what only God can give. So when we hold our hands outstretched to receive a benediction, it's not because we're expecting uh, money or fame or success to come raining down from heaven and we gotta do the best we can to catch as much as we can, catch as many blessings as we can, right? That's not why we hold our hands, or hold our hands outstretched. But it's a recognition of of our relationship to God. That God is the one who gives to us, we are not giving to God. And it is a humble gratitude of accepting that blessing. So a benediction reminds us of God's character, reminds us of his faithfulness to us, his goodness to us. But it also reinforces gospel truth. It reinforces gospel truth. Let's look at Psalm 67, verse 2. So after saying, may God be gracious to us, he says in verse 2, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Now, we don't, we don't know who wrote this psalm, but many commentators suggest that the psalmist, when they were writing the psalm, he or she was likely gathered in the people of God um, after hearing this priestly blessing that we just looked at in number 6, even though they just quote the first Verse, or the first part of that blessing, after receiving that blessing, the psalmist is just driven to praise, is driven to worship, and writes down this song, this song of worship saying, Let the nations praise you, let the peoples praise you, right? And so there is a sense in which receiving a blessing leads to worship, it leads to greater worship. And even though we give a benediction at the end, of a service. It's not uh, marking the end of our worship, but rather it's refueling us for worship throughout the week. So if benedictions reinforce gospel truth, what is that gospel truth? What is the gospel truth that we're talking about? Well, let's for a moment go back to the beginning. And beginning, I mean Genesis. Uh, God created the world uh, and everything in it in perfect harmony. He put mankind, Adam and Eve, in the garden, in the center of his presence to work the garden. But he gave them instructions to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And yet, Adam and Eve listened to the temptation of the serpent and sinned. And so there was a curse placed upon mankind and placed upon the world... And at the end, so he gives this curse to the serpent. He tells the woman uh, that her pain will be multiplied and childbearing. And then he says this to Adam. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till so the return Till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Because of our sin, we are cursed and separated from God. We are cut off from uh, the relationship that we could have with God because of our sin, because of Adam and Eve's sin. And if for a moment you're thinking, well, that was Adam— what about me? How does Adam sin? Why am I responsible for Adam's sin? Uh, Paul kind of answers that question in Romans chapter 5, a passage that we uh, read earlier in our time and worship. He says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. So we experience death and are cut off from relationship because of Adam's sin, but also because of our own sin, right, that all have sinned as a result of Adam's sin, and it's not his fault, it's not just our fault, but it's all of our faults that we are cut off from God. So the inevitable question is, what happened, right? If we give and receive a benediction, which from Latin means good words, if we receive a benediction, yet at one point we were cursed, what happened? How did we go from being cursed to now being blessed? And I think you kind of know the answer. Jesus Jesus changed it all. The psalmist can write this, even though Jesus had not even been born yet. The, the psalmist and, you know, the believers, the Old Testament um, Israelites, they were confronted with their own sinfulness through the law. That the law was never designed to save. It wasn't God's failed experiment to say, okay, um, Humanity created a problem. Let me try and fix it. I'll give them this law, and if they obey it completely and fully, then they will remove the curse from their lives, and they'll be fine. The law was never intended to save. Um, If you think for a moment of an MRI machine, I've never had an MRI, uh, but from what I hear, it's not exactly pleasant. But the goal of the MRI is to not cure you. The goal of the MRI is not to heal you, but rather it reveals within you where the sickness is. It reveals you where the weakness is. So in the same way, the law is like an MRI machine. That the law was never designed to save, but rather reveal the brokenness and sinfulness in their hearts and in our hearts to realize that we need a savior. The Old Testament and the prophets all point to the fact that we need a savior and that person is jesus and so the psalmist is able to say that your saving power god is known among the nations because they were looking forward to a savior they knew that they could not save themselves because of jesus we are blessed and reconciled to god Paul goes on to say in the remainder of Romans 5, um, For if because of one man's trespass, because of Adam's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness Leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. You might think, well, I mean, Adam's sin is applied to me. That's not fair. Well, Christ's righteousness applied to me is not fair. And so it is because of Christ that we are reconciled to God. Jesus came as the second Adam. He came to bring righteousness and justification when Adam brought condemnation to us all. In the article about benedictions that I referenced earlier, the author kind of sums up this idea by saying it like this. On the cross, Jesus essentially heard, may the Lord curse you so that we can now hear, may the Lord bless you. Jesus took the malediction that we deserve so that we could receive the benediction we don't deserve. It is because of Jesus that we're able to receive a benediction at all. God is able to freely bless us because he himself paid the price by sending his son to put an end to sin and the curse of Satan and death in the process. So, when you receive God's blessings, do you use that as an opportunity to reinforce gospel truth in your life? We as the people of God receive benedictions because they remind us of God's character, they reinforce that gospel truth, and benedictions also send us on mission. Now, at this point, I need to make a little bit of a clarification. An actuality, uh, a benediction doesn't so much send us on mission as does a commissioning. But often, benediction and commissioning um, go hand in hand. They're often intertwined together, both in Scripture and um, in our services. That when we are receiving this blessing, it inevitably leads us to then take that with us and go. Um, So even though these two ideas are intertwined, I just thought I should make that clarification that a benediction leads to a commissioning, and that commissioning is what sends us on mission. So what is a commissioning? What are we being commissioned for? Um, Commissioning as an English word can mean a lot of different things. Uh, and one of the things maybe you're familiar with or maybe you're thinking is like a commission or commissioning is when uh, someone takes a percentage of something they've earned, right? Where uh, maybe a stockbroker, a realtor, they, they barter a trade or something and they get 5% or they get 10% of the overall cost. I probably did a terrible job of explaining that, but that's not my strong suit. Um, but anyway, that's not the commissioning we're talking about, so it doesn't matter. Um, but commissioning in our sense is that we are God's ambassadors. We are being commissioned to take his words, take his truth uh, with us when we go. So if we are being commissioned, we have a mission, who are we sent by and with what authority uh, and where are we going and what is our mission? Maybe these are some of the questions you're sitting here asking like, okay, has, has God really given me any authority? Well, he has given us his Holy Spirit to send with us, that he is with us himself. Where are we going? We're going where God calls us to. You know, as we read um, Psalm 67, um, we see that God's praises will reach the ends of the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. When we are confronted with the audacious and outrageous blessings from God, we are driven to praise him wherever we go. We are sent by God as his ambassadors to the ends of the earth, carrying his praises with us. We speak of his grace and faithfulness. We proclaim his love and mercy. We announce the good news of Jesus Christ. We declare his justice and righteousness. We herald the goodness and greatness of our God. But maybe you're like me and sometimes you think, well, I can communicate with people around the world with a few clicks on my computer or a few swipes on my phone do I really even need to go anywhere Um, and while yes technology can help and it it truly is a great tool to communicate um, we all have a mandate to go right that Jesus gave his disciples the Great Commission saying go and make disciples right and so while maybe not all of us are called to go around the world some of us definitely are and that's not a calling that we should ignore but is action necessary for the rest of us? Where are we called to? And maybe you're thinking, well, I mean, we live in America. Surely everyone has heard, and the people who aren't Christians have already rejected him. They, they have heard, and they just don't want to listen. Let me uh, bring us back to Paul for a moment. I know I keep going back here, but, I mean, he says a lot of great things. Um, and it is God's word. So, uh, Romans chapter 10, he says this, "'For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord "'will be saved.'" Uh, Which is truly an incredible thing, and we could preach a whole sermon on that. He says, "'For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord "'will be saved. "'How then will they call on him "'in whom they have not believed? "'And how are they to believe in him "'of whom they have never heard? "'And how are they to hear without someone preaching? "'And how are they to preach unless they are sent?' As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And maybe you're sitting here like, well, I I can't preach. I have never been trained to do so. And while it might seem like a discouragement or maybe an excuse, God has given you what you need to preach. He has equipped you with words to use to explain God's goodness uh, and his love to us. And yes, sometimes we're sent around the world, but sometimes we're sent to the office next door, to the classroom upstairs, to the cubicle around the corner with that funky smell that we try to avoid, right? That God has called each of us to reach the world he has placed you in with the good news of the gospel. You see, truth inescapably leads to action. I'm only 27 years old, uh, but I often feel like I'm living in the body of a 50-year-old. And I know maybe some of you in here are like, you can't even start to complain yet. You haven't, you got to hit 35 before you can start talking about how much you hurt, right? But I mean, I wake up in the morning and my neck hurts and, you know, I go for a walk and my back hurts. Even standing here, I'm like, I've already been standing for too long today, right? And so finally, after much convincing uh, from my wife, I finally agreed to go see a chiropractor. So I, I made an appointment. Oh, thanks, Johnny. Yes, I finally, I finally gave in. And chiropractor truly is, it's an amazing thing. But I get there, and we're doing this evaluative uh, meeting where she's asking me about, like, why my back hurts or, you know, what types of things I do. Am I lifting heavy things or whatever? And at one point, I'm laying down on the chiropractic table, and she's looking at uh, my legs and my feet, and she goes, wow, that's incredible. And I'm laying there, obviously not knowing what she's talking about, going, what on earth is going on? So she pulls out her phone, takes a picture, shows me the picture, uh, and apparently my right leg is like an inch and a half shorter than my left leg. And I know maybe now you're you're wondering if that's why I lean. Um, I mean, both my feet touch the floor, so I never noticed the difference. Um, but here's the point. Um, whether it's anatomical or because my hip is locked up, still yet to be seen, but I received truth about my condition. I received truth about what was wrong with my back and why I was having all this pain in my spine, and I was led to action. I made follow-up appointments, I did all the stretches that she told me to do, and granted, I'm still in pain sometimes, but that truth led me to action. And so we have a diagnosis, right? As a human person, you have a diagnosis that you have been separated and cut off from God because of your sin. Now, you can either choose to accept that diagnosis, like I could have chosen to accept like, well, my leg's shorter. Well, I guess I'll just take that and go with it and thanks but no thanks, right? Uh, In the same way, you could take the diagnosis of being sinful and be like, you know what? I'd rather live in a world where I'm not sinful. I'd rather not be confronted with my sinfulness. So I'm gonna go over here to where I don't have to worry about sinfulness. Or, Or maybe you get your diagnosis of your condition and you see God's solution of Jesus Christ and you say well actually I'd rather go over here where the solution is a little bit different I'd rather work for it myself I'd rather do something on my own that can earn me that cure I want to say that I had something to do with it but the fact of the matter is we have been given a diagnosis there is only one cure and that cure is found in the person of Jesus Christ so As we think about where we stand with God, we're then led to realize that truth leads to action. But more than that, good news leads to proclamation. I don't think that's an idea that I have to spend too much time trying to explain to you. Because when we get good news, a raise, uh, a, you know, a new job, or you know, good news in the family, we inevitably want to tell people about it. We want to proclaim to everyone we see. We, we meet the person that's checking us out at Kroger and we say, hey, I got some great news today. Or maybe that's just me. But when we get good news, we want to share it. So when we gather to worship, and we receive a benediction of good news from God, a blessing from God, this leads us to go into the world on Monday carrying with, that, carrying with us that good news. Whether corporately or individually, uh, our goal as the church, our goal as the body of Christ is not for the world to look at us and be like, wow, good job guys, you got it all together, you're doing great. Right? We do not worship our almighty God so that the world will look at us and realize how great we are. But rather, we gather in worship to turn the praises to him. That we proclaim out with the psalmist, let all the peoples praise you. We want the world to hear and know the goodness of our God. So, benedictions at the end of our service is not just a fancy way to say you are dismissed, right? But that it reinforces gospel truth. It reminds us of God's character, and it sends us out on mission. So let me ask you, are you prepared to receive God's blessing in your life? Think on that for a moment. You know, in this series, we have uh, looked at why we gather for worship. Why uh, do we have a time of confession? Why do we give? Why do we pray together? Why do we preach the word? Why do we sing songs of praise? Uh, and so why do we give a benediction, practically speaking? You know, it's not that the pastors or whoever is giving the benediction, the, the benediction, the blessing is not coming from us. We are not the source of the benediction. Uh, We give a benediction to serve as a bridge between the grace and peace and worship of our time together and that bridges to the day in, day out activities of everyday life. That the benediction is the bridge that brings those two worlds together. So we're not just trying to remind you of our five sermon points or the one big idea, or uh, we're not trying to hold you even longer before you go to lunch. Uh, But when we speak a benediction over the people of God, we are identifying ourselves as a people of God and we are expectedly waiting for what only God can give. So are you in a place right now where you are able to receive a benediction? Is there any lingering bitterness or anger that would keep you from receiving God's blessings? Are you willing to accept the fact that the goodness and grace in your life is not because of anything you have done, but solely a result of God's goodness to you? Are you willing to accept the cure for your sinfulness cannot be found within yourself? Are you willing to accept that God's saving power, which is known among the nations, is available to you in the person of Jesus Christ? You know, these promises, they're, they're not promises that we're making up, right? I, I want you to understand that. That As we give benedictions, it's not just saying, hey, this is something we'd like to have, so we're going we're gonna to proclaim it over our lives, and we're going to expect God to fill it. No, we are speaking God's words over God's people as we eagerly wait and expect for God to give what only he can give. May God grant to you the ability to comprehend his goodness and grace to you. May he strengthen you with his word and may God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, inspire and encourage each one of us to be sent out on mission, carrying the praises of his name to the ends of the earth. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, undeserved blessings often make us feel uncomfortable, but may we find comfort and rest in you. Prod us to reflect on and marvel on your character and your mercies. Allow us to receive from you the heart transformation which you seek to instill in each one of us. Let our stubbornness and hard-heartedness fade away in the light of your glorious grace. Through our Savior, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.